All right, we got a lot to cover this week, a lot of stuff going on. We're going to jump right into it. We're going to talk about how Threads, which is Meta's new Twitter competitor, they got, what, 50 million new users in about 24 hours, a little over 24 hours or so, which is now the fastest growing app. I believe it's beaten ChatGPT. It has beaten ChatGPT. Uh, 50 million users in a few days. I think ChatGPT was, what, 1 million users in five days, which was a record. There's a meme or not a meme. There's like a infographic of this and it took like seven days or something. And this one's, this one took like a span of seven hours, but also like keep in mind it wrote on the back of Instagram. So they're, they're kind of interconnected. So, yep. So, um, but it's a ridiculous amount. And now here's the thing that people don't even talk about with threads. It's not even available in certain countries like in Europe and they hit 50 million in literally a matter of a few days, not being able uh, for people in all countries to actually use the app. Yeah, so I, I think, look, I think it's going to continue to grow. And th the question is, oh my God, is it Twitter or is it going to be threads? No, the, the, the answer is it's just going to be and, and people are going to be posting to yet another social platform because it's just another place to get reached. That's all it is at the end of the day. The funny thing is I've been playing around with it quite a bit the last day or two. Neil has posted nothing to his thread so far, but he's already got like 50,000 uh, followers or so. And I think I'm at like 4,000 or something. But the, the, the key thing is there, there are a couple of differences. I, as I'm using it, even though it's basically the same interface as Twitter, I'm like, man, it's, it's a lot friendlier here. I find myself wanting to log into this thing more. And obviously I'm logging because I want to capture as much organic reach as I can in the early days, right? But fact of the matter is there aren't a lot of trolls there aren't a lot of bots the ads haven't come on yet and you aren't seeing like a lot of irrelevant posts and so i think it's interesting because it's early days and you're kind of you're kind of in early where it's like freshman year of college right and so yeah, yeah. and i bet you because they're going after twitter mark my words on this reach is going to be great Everyone's going to see everything. Monetization is non-existent right now. And Facebook just wants virality and a ton of people to be using threads. And they're going to give everyone a lot of followers. They're going to give you the reach that you want, whether your content's mediocre or great. So this is the time to double down on threads. And it's not like Clubhouse because unlike Clubhouse, Facebook is a massive giant and they will invest billions to take over Twitter if they think they can win. And I believe they think they can really win at this point. Yeah, they're going to take shots, right? I mean, keep in mind, Meta, also Spotify, everyone, they made a Clubhouse clone and Twitter made a Clubhouse clone as well. And it didn't really work out for them. Twitter still kind of has it, but everyone else basically shut theirs down. So they're going to take these shots. I actually feel like this one's going to work. A lot of times Meta will create stuff and it doesn't really take off. But the fact that a lot of people are using it now, just the usage that you're seeing and the rate that it's growing at, I think it's going to be a thing that will stick around for a while because the, the behavior is already established on Twitter. People just want a spot to write stuff, right? And the cool thing too is when I'm using it, I can post and I, I've been, I Neil's, Neil follows me when, when he looks at my posts on stories. I often share a lot of stuff from Twitter. Now I'm just sharing more and more stuff from my, my, my threads account, right? And here's the other thing. I find myself not caring as much before I hit the post button on threads. I feel like I can kind of just say whatever I want. And that's a very, that's how you want to be creating content. Again, I, I gave my my reasons as to why I'm doing it that way, but I just find myself posting a lot more and multiple times. So go out there, check it out. Don't be like Neil that signs up for it and doesn't post. Actually post something. So yeah. 
Dude, it was funny because I was on a vacation with my uh, kids and my wife this week when Threads came out. And right away, I got a message from my team saying, we signed you up for Threads. I don't even know my login. I I, I know that you sign up through your Instagram app, right? So you need Instagram. It's your same, same login. It's the same login. Yeah, that's huh? what I figured because it's through the Instagram app is at least what I read online. And my team's like, yeah, we signed up. And I haven't even checked it out or downloaded the app on my phone or anything yet. Yeah, it's it's no different. I mean, it's it's the same thing. I think it's good to have something fresh without all the bells and whistles. But bottom line here is if written form, like I love written form, Neil's first form of content is written form as well. And so well, my favorite too. I know yeah. it's not the favorite for a lot of people to consume content in, but for me, I love creating written content over video and audio content. And funny enough, I also like consuming content uh, through written form over video and audio. That's my preferred method as well. Same here. Here, I'm going to read some of my, my threads over here before we move on to the next topic. So my first one was, um, let's see, the written word requires substance and I'm all for it, right? And then I wrote something about how um, don't show me your thirst traps. Show me your show me how you think. <laughs> and so th that's what written form does. Um, anyway, we'll move on to the next one. This next one is around PSEO or programmatic SEO. Neil says he doesn't know what the, this is, but he actually does. When, once I explain this, he'll know. And so earlier this week, there is a guy I know, smart guy. He used to run SEO at Shopify. His name's Kevin Indig. And he wrote a post. He collaborated with somebody else on how to do programmatic SEO. So Neil, you know how when you look at TripAdvisor or when you look at Glassdoor or when you look at Yelp, for example, uh, best places to eat in Mexico city. Yeah. You know what I mean? They do city based and they add, depending on the platform that you're talking about, some of them do subdomains for the different countries. And then they do slashes for the different cities mm -hmm. and they'll have subdirectories for literally any major topic for hotels, places to eat, uh, places to see and sightsee and the list goes on and on. Correct. And so you're basically making templates, you're doing the research and you're trying to figure out the pages that convert. And usually these pages are more, middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel, they have more intent and they drive conversions, yeah. right? And like so pizza in Italy or yep. uh, Milan, Italy. And yep. funny enough, nowadays you can create a lot of that content using things like chat GPT mm -hmm. um, because it doesn't have to be up to date. Typically the best pizza restaurants, and I say typically, is going to be older ones that have you know, five, 10,000 reviews and have been around for like 20, 30 years versus someone who just popped up a pizza restaurant you know, six months ago, they're probably not going to be coined as the best pizza restaurant in a city. Right. So let, let's say I'm using Neil's Ubersuggest as an example, right? So Ubersuggest is a free SEO tool that Neil has. And so what would I create here? Hmm. Well, I would create, there's the best SEO tools, but there's also the competitor alternatives, right? So SEMrush alternatives, yeah. I would make uh, HREFs alternatives, alternatives, right? Moz alternatives. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you would have articles online versus... Yes, versus SEM Rust's versus HS versus Ubersess. Or, mm -hmm. uh, and then you would start getting into articles like the best way to do keyword research, and the list goes on and on for all the long tail queries. Yep. So, the point of bringing this up, so, so Neil hit it on the head, there are a lot of people now leveraging OpenAI's API to do this. And so, you might do some keyword mapping and then expand the keywords, and you might have 500 or 1,000 keywords or whatever, and you might test it in small bursts and and you know see how it goes right and it's been working pretty well for us and we're looking at scaling it out even more now here's the thing everyone's going to be doing this i truly believe the ones that jump on this quickly that have a strong domain authority those will will be the one that will reap the rewards because you can't have everyone doing this not everyone can rank there's only so much real estate so you know programmatic seo is becoming popular again but like i said 
I've been doing this for a while. Neil's been doing this for a while too. I used to work at a place. Oh, there's nothing new. The only d difference mm -hmm. changes people are using chat GPT to automate a lot of this yep. because this type of content is not, there's not a ton of new stuff that's Your fresh templates. to add to it. It's just regurgitated information and sites with high domain authority are just cranking out these kind of topics because it's easy for them to rank and they're just gobbling up the long tail. One page doesn't get a lot of traffic, but when you have 500,000 of them, it really starts adding up. Yeah, what's old is new again, right? Sometimes, you know, it's like, oh, direct mail is dead. No, direct mail is back, right? And so this is one of those things. And the story here is I used to work at a company that we used to have a collection of websites, like a bunch of humor websites. One was called break.com. And we would just make a lot of programmatic pages for funny videos, funny, uh, Hollywood videos or like Bollywood videos. We just make all these categories and templates. And then we would just, the, after we created these pages, we look at the ones that got high traffic. And then we try to figure out how to make these templates convert better. Cause what you're doing is you're creating templates, more keyword research, more templates, more CRO, because when you have a lot of traffic already coming to a website, CRO and SEO kind of go hand in hand. Yep. All right. So this next one, I actually posted something. I, I wanted to get a reaction from people on LinkedIn. So I posted something and I said, Hey, this is the cool stuff that's happening in marketing right now. So one, we just talked about, I put PSEO, which is programmatic SEO. Two is AI enhanced blog content. So that's leveraging the power of AI, maybe producing 60, 70% of your content and then having the human in a loop for the end of it. Number three is newsletters becoming fun again. Number four is threads just coming out. We talked about that. And number five is AI content tools, which we've talked about a lot. Right. And I, the, the, I ended this post with what else? And so a lot of people here are talking about, I'm going to share some stuff and Neil, you can give some reactions here. Um, so one person, he put AI powered video generation, transcripts, guide generation, all of a sudden it's incredibly easy to make content. That's one. Two is code interpreter coming to chat GPT plus. Do you know what that is? Uh, no. So that's the ability for chat GPT to interpret the code that you have on your site. And then it'll basically help you rewrite code. And, um, there's another one here, which we can touch upon, which is the rise of B2B creators. And I think we'll just leave it with that. Yeah. The, the code interpreters, I think that's really cool. Cause then you can do more things like automated SEO on different pages. Uh, the rise of B2B influencers to me, that's not new. There's always a lot of B2B influencers. For example, I've gotten a lot of six figure deals from PayPal to create videos on them. And I'll say that I put cool stuff, by the way, not new, the what? I put cool stuff happening in marketing, not, oh, not cool. new. I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were saying new. But even like B2B markers uh, or influencers, I don't think that's cool. That's just been around for ages. You're not going to get the views that you would in B2C, but keep in mind, each customer could be worth potentially, depending on the industry you're in, you know, potentially millions of dollars. You know what I think is cool? And we're going to touch upon this in a second, but I think you have companies like Duolingo that are doing different things they're replacing tv ads with this other thing which we'll touch upon i'm going to leave it leave a cliffhanger there um the other thing that's a little more recent is connected tv which we're going to touch upon as well and one thing that is we're going to cool or not we're going to have to get used to it which we'll touch upon as well is ga4 that basically came out this week and you know I still prefer the old Google Analytics. But what we, do you do? We, we, we both do, but you know, we can't complain. <laughs> I think most people do, yeah. but we have no choice, right? Because of privacy and the changes that are happening. And Eric and I aren't saying we're against the privacy changes. We're just saying reality is as a marketer, if you're using uh, analytics tool and you have your reports and you've been using it, not for two, three, four, five years, but even longer, and you just have this big change, you know, it, it takes some time to get used to. All right. So I don't know if you saw this, Neil, but the Canadian government 
halted ads on Facebook and Instagram in a feud over a new law. So basically this new law is it requires so that okay, it passed the law in June requiring digital platforms, including Meta and Alphabet Inc., to negotiate commercial deals with local publishers for featuring news content. Does that make sense to you? Yes. Okay. So both tech giants said they intended to block news on their platforms by the time the law takes effect later this year. So yeah, what are I saw an article about Google talking about that. I didn't see an article on Facebook talking about that. Or so, okay, here's what happened though. So Meta based, well, the Canadian government spent $8.6 million in the fiscal year of 2021 to 2022 on Facebook and Instagram, accounting for more than half of its total social media expenditure. It spent about Canada, what, $8.8 million on Alphabet's Google during that period. So, Yeah, that's quite a bit of money. And I think you're going to start seeing more countries start following suit with Canada, but I'm not too worried about Google or Facebook. They'll figure out how to play nice and they'll figure out how to continually generate revenue and users in these countries are still going to use them. Yeah, I mean, I think what happens in these situations is there's a lot of posturing and there's a lot of flexing on both sides. And then what ends up happening eventually is they end up settling, which is how most of these this is not even a lawsuit, but you can call it like a fight, right? A lot of these feuds end up being settled at the end of the day. So just food for thought. Dude, do you remember the Larry when Larry Page was the CEO of uh, Google? Do you remember the argument they had with Can uh, not Canada, Australia? No. What Australia was wanted to pay more taxes. And then Google was just like, well, we're not going to, you know, we're not, uh, we're not headquartered in Australia. But if you want us to pay more taxes... Imagine a world with no Gmail, no Google, you know, no Android or whatever their devices that people are using. They're like, mm -hmm. if that's the game you want to play, we'll just pull out. And uh, of course, Google is still there. And I'm pretty sure they didn't end up paying any of those extra taxes. Yep. So uh, leverage, when, when it comes down to negotiation at the end of the day, you have to understand two things, what leverage you have. The second thing is your BATNA, which is your best alternative to a negotiated agreement. And sometimes it's just walking away, right? And well, how does this have anything to do with marketing? It has everything to do with marketing because if you're going to negotiate a big advertising deal, we well, better learn how to negotiate, right? So negotiation, talking to people, getting what you need oftentimes is also a situation where both sides need to win, where you don't feel like you're annihilating the other side. So eventually these two sides will figure out how to win and not try to kill each other because you don't want to ever embarrass the other party. And speaking of leverage, imagine how pissed Australian citizens would have been with the politicians. Mm -hmm. If there was no more Gmail, their email stopped working, they couldn't search anymore, their Android devices anymore, they would just be pissed. And they were just, you know, people wouldn't care about... Yes, I know people ideally want the taxes because it helps improve their roads, the schools, and all that, and rightfully so. But still, citizens would just be pissed and be like, you just screwed over my life. And I bet you a lot of those politicians wouldn't have gotten reelected. Dude, speaking of governments, I mean, um, what about France blaming social media and video games for the all the crazy stuff that was happening, the riots? Did you see that? Yes. Yeah. So... Anyway, people always but find a way social to media, And I'm not saying social media is causing or isn't, but social media has changed uh, the way a lot of people, A, do things in their lives and how they're reacting to things. Uh, it's also making it easier for news and specific messaging um, to spread. It also makes propaganda easier to spread as well. And I'm not saying people are pushing out propaganda, but some countries are. Well, you know, humans are easy to manipulate, you and I included. So yeah, anyway. That's true.
GA4, what are, okay, so GA4, I mean, the rollout came out this week. And so we earlier, earlier we talked about how we have no choice but to use it. Do you know, there's actually a looker report. I don't know if I shared this with you, Neil. There's a looker report that mimics Google Analytics Classic. And it's like the same oh. thing. Yeah, yeah. I can share the link with you afterwards. But those of you that want to that want to see that, maybe I'll I'll tell you what I'll throw it on my threads, and then Neil can retweet it. So yeah, you can find it there. We'll share the report. So share it on threads. Uh, message me to retweet it, and then yep. I'll send it to someone on my team to retweet it because I still don't know my. Logic. You have access to it, dude. <laughs> dude, I don't know my Instagram password either. <laughs> you don't even know this your password. on my phone. Anyway. So well, I will I will start logging in this week and I'm gonna start seeing if I can start pushing out some content and just playing with it because I think it's gonna be fun. You know all you need to do is you okay, guys. I posted this on threads earlier, by the way. One of my earlier threads was like use there's a Chrome plugin called Tweet Hunter X, and you add that one. And if I scroll to like Neil's account, literally I'm gonna do this. I think I just came up with this idea right now. No, no, wait, 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 but it's not supposed to work on browsers, it's supposed to work on the mobile app, no? Well, you don't let me finish. So what I would do is I would go to Neil's account, open Tweet Hunter X, and it would show me all his high performers what i'm gonna do after this call is i'm gonna take some of his high performers i'm gonna throw it on my threads and that's all you have to do i was taking my high performers now i'm just gonna jack his and jack whoever else is a philosopher i'm kind of kidding though tongue-in-cheek but that's what you, all you need to do right now because they're all performing that's awesome that's smart yeah so anyway that's G Are you, have you done anything else with ga4 uh, we, we already have a lot of our reports set up, but we adapted to GA4 way before the deadline. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess that's it on GA4. Everyone was like freaking out about it before, but it's really nothing much to freak the, out. The about. amount of webinars we did on GA4 and articles and pushing people and email blasts to say, Hey, you got six months left. You got three months left. Check out these reports that you can create. Here's how to use it. But we were prepared for a long time. Okay. How many leads did you get from that using the same <laughs> six months, five months, four months, three months, two months? What, what kind of results did you get from pushing almost the same content? I don't have those stats on, uh, right now, but I do know for a fact, my team wouldn't be continually pushing similar messaging out for six months straight, unless it was driving enterprise leads, which is number one. And we were, uh, and we didn't see conversions in those leads. So I know for a matter of fact, we had to see at least one client for it or else my team wouldn't continue to push out. That's so smart. And you're doing what, two webinars a month? We do two webinars a month and we track uh, what emails and webinars uh, and just blog articles, videos, everything. We, tr we track what drives not just the most qualified leads, but what's actually driving revenue. And we actually track LTV based on the channel as well as the content type that they came in from and the messaging to see what's producing the most leads that are the most qualified, what's producing the most amount of revenue and what's producing the highest LTV. Cause even if something produces a large amount for a one-year contract, but something else type of content, let's say on global marketing, cause we talk quite a bit about that. It produces less revenue up front, but it produces the highest LTV. We start focusing more on the stuff and optimizing for LTV versus just a uh, short run revenue. All right. Well, next one, we're going to talk about if CTV is worth it. So CTV is connected TV. Do you want to explain what that is, Neil? So connected TV, think about right now, if you want to advertise on TV, most people look at that as linear, old school. Connected TV is internet-based. Imagine you're just clicking some buttons, buying uh, television ad spots, just like you do with Google AdWords or meta ads. And 
you know, you can do this on Hulu. You can start doing ad buys on Netflix, even Prime. Most people don't know with Prime, you can also have them integrate your products within some of the films and TV series that they're creating. So if you sell water, they can shove in your water for X amount of impressions on a certain show, and then they can replace it with the next person who pays them. Um, but these are all examples of connected TV. And a lot of TV these days is streaming, so you can buy ads through it, just like you would on Google ads or Facebook ads versus doing it the old school way. Dude, I can't pull up the the screen share here on those of you that are watching on YouTube. By the way, our YouTube's we should share a case study on, on why our YouTube is, is growing, but um, I'm looking at it right now, and basically this, whole idea of CTV is they basically, they ran a survey. Okay. So this, this marketing website ran a survey and it asked the marketers, the CMOs, if they're going to be spending more or less. And the only, the only channel where marketers said they're going to invest more money, 65% of people said they're going to put more money into it is connected TV because one I mean, for performance marketers, it's really, it's a little, maybe it might be a little easier to run and you might feel like you have more control. You might feel like you have better tracking. And so that's why it's becoming more and more popular. I don't know about you, Neil, but my connected TV thing is I watch, I mean, I watch, I watch a lot of YouTube TV. Uh, what, what else is part of connected TV? You watch a lot of TV. Uh, Hulu, uh, Roku. Um, mm -hmm. what else? Uh, oh, a lot of dude, even just TV in general, you know, like you can do direct TV streaming, right? You don't even have to have a dish anymore. You can just stream through the internet Yeah, and YouTube as well. They have all these TV channels for a subscription. So here's the thing with the survey too. Most people said they're going to be decreasing social media ad budget and also paid search ad budget as well, which I find interesting. It's kind of like what's old ish is new ish again. TV. But here's a funny thing. We ran a survey on ad spend in 2023. You know why a lot of people are decreasing social media ad spend? It's not that they want to. It's because of the privacy changes with iOS and then eventually that Google's going to make as well. It's made it harder for them to spend the same amount and generate the same ROI. And a lot of companies have tried, but they're just not able to generate the ROI with their campaign scaling as fast. That's why a lot of companies are pulling back on paid social media ads. It's not that they don't want to spend is that they're not able to do it as efficiently. Did you see the new Apple update? Uh, I have they're, not seen the they're stripping. They're stripping out the UTM links automatically. So wow, you have that cool. happening. And then, you know, Google's adding more stuff to more privacy. So again, marketing is getting harder. So same with emails, dude, you know, when you send email blast, right? A lot of the uh, tracking, a lot of the clicks and opens aren't being tracked just like they used yeah, to. Yeah. You have like an artificial high open rate now. Yeah. So like, but the clicks aren't being tracked as well as they used to. That's uh, the shitty part. That that is that is poo poo -y. Um, let me let me go back to threads for a second. I want to share my screen over here. So, Tomas Tongus, uh, he's a venture capitalist, and so <clears throat> this Redpoint. Yeah. Well, no, he he left Redpoint, but um, so Threads, Facebook's newest social product and t direct Twitter competitor has surged 70 million monthly active users as of this. I don't even know how you can say monthly active users when it's only been like a couple of days, but I, I guess technically it works. <laughs> like we, we have uh, 70 million active users for four days. <laughs> yeah. What does this mean for B2B marketers? Instagram is three times larger than Twitter. Threads currently at one fifth of the size. So Threads is in the black over here. Twitter is in the blue. And then you have Instagram over here. So about one thirteen fifty, so that's one point three five billion users open up the Instagram app every month. About three hundred sixty eight million click on Twitter's Bluebird. Seventy two percent fewer. 
Threads, Threads current population is 5% of Instagrams. For any social network, Threads growth is sensational. One-click sign-up using Instagram has funneled. So that's a conversion thing, right? One-click sign-up using Instagram has funneled users by the millions into the product at the rate of 1.5 million per hour since launch. And I actually ran a little poll, like a tiny poll on my Instagram today. And I think 30 to 40% of people said they still don't have Threads yet, probably because they can't even use it. To, to Neil's point, Europe's not open yet. Um, and Which so, is a massive market. If you look at the GDP of Europe, I haven't looked at the recent <laughs> stats, but when I did look at it like a year ago, it's it's roughly similar size to uh, the United States. It's a massive market, massive population as well. Yep. If you start combining UK, Italy, France, you know Germany, and the list goes on and on. Yep. Okay, so key point here, it's certainly the time to acquire, best time to acquire new audiences at the beginning of a new network launch, which is what we were talking about earlier. <clears throat> Excuse me. Audiences multiply as the network scales. After a while, networks audience networks audiences harden and calcify, requiring paid spend to reach new users to offset greater competition for attention. Threads offers the potential to amass a large audience at significant lower cost than other channels for the short term. In short, experimenting with threads will become an essential marketing campaign for many in the next few weeks. The promise of reaching a wide audience for little investment is too alluring to forgo. And I actually misspoke. Uh, GDP is similar. U.S. is 23 trillion for the U.S. Europe is 16, but population in Europe is much bigger than the U.S. Europe total population, uh, based on this Google search, is 746 million. U.S. is 331 million. Dude, speaking of the thing I just brought up, I'm I'm pulling up my friend's account here on Threads, and she's posting like she was very prolific in the early days of Clubhouse. And she is nonstop on threads right now. So she's got 7,600 followers, okay? And four minutes, 16 minutes, three hours ago, 43 minutes. She, I think she's going like every like 10 to 15 minutes or so, there's a new threads. And so you can do that if you're trying to build an audience. I think um, it just depends on what your priorities are at the end of the day. If it's audience growth, then, then all, by all means, go for it. So, yep. all right, next one. Duolingo replaces TV ads with memes. Have you heard about this? No. Okay, check this out. So basically Duolingo is their publicly traded company. They trade people, they train people on how to learn another language and they do well. And they still spend a good amount of money on let's say paid ads or social ads, but they've basically dialed back their TV spending or brand spending because what they realized is that they have um they have like a their character is this owl. I'm going to share my screen over here. It's like a I, I bet your your daughter would like this. But it's this owl over here. Duolingo. I know Duolingo really well. So this I've owl. I've seen some of their memes too. I just didn't see that they replaced them. With yeah, them. it's it's all meme stuff, right? So it's all meme stuff to drive virality. And it's, you know, TikToks, shorts, and reels, right? And they have a social team. And it's all about, they actually even have a team internally called the the, the virality team. And their goal is to just give that team as much leeway as possible to go out there and create viral content. And so what works really well for a lot of, uh, from like a, I don't know, traditional consumer or consumer standpoint now, memes. A lot of people understand memes. People like to share memes and memes can go viral. So um, it really comes down to that. And then at the end of the day, what I'm seeing is, hey, if you find that one channel isn't working, you find one thing is working, double, triple down, quadruple on it. And that's what they've done. So 
It's smart. You got to zig when other people zag. You got to try new, fresh stuff. And the reason they're probably trying one of this is because the TVs weren't producing the results that they're looking for. So might as well take that budget and try something else. And if that works, great, do more of it. If it doesn't work, then switch it out and try something else over time. But that's marketing in a nutshell. I mean, they, they made a good point here, right? Instead of saying like, oh, McDonald's has the burgers that you can predict or Ben and Jerry's has really good ice cream or whatever. Instead of saying that in an ad, like an expensive ad, why don't you just show someone eating the really good ice cream or showing someone like eating the McDonald's, right? Or like have some family doing it. Like it's more relatable and it's it costs less money to do. And it might, sometimes people like that stuff because it's, it's, it's endearing. So, And it can also be more entertaining. All right. So we got another one over here. Tom Brady loses 30 million bucks from the FTX collapse. Now you're going to be wondering like, how does this even relate to marketing? First, let's lead with the story. So I will leave with the story. I thought you were going to say something. So uh -huh. at the height of FTX, I think it was valued at what? 48 billion or was it 64 billion? Something like that? No, I think it was 30 something billion dollars. Okay. So FTX is the now bankrupt crypto exchange. And it was ran by this guy named Sam Bankman Freed. And Sam did a really good job. Here's a marking lesson. Okay. He hired basically a lot of celebrities, Steph Curry, Tom Brady, Tom's ex-wife, Giselle. Shaq. Who else? Shaq was another one. Shaq. Okay. Who else? Uh, Naomi Osaka, I believe. The tennis player. The tennis player. Mm -hmm. uh, there's quite a few other ones as well. Naomi Osaka. Uh, uh, Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But the yeah. list goes on and on. I think Lewis Hamilton, I know they had a sponsorship with oh, yeah, Mercedes. Uh, F1. Mercedes. Yeah, Mercedes. Uh, Miami Heat Arena, that's not a celebrity, but Miami Heat Arena. They had that gaming company. I don't know much about esports. You know more about games. Uh, they sponsored that team. Cloud9, FaZe. Really anyway, Cloud9, FaZe, whatever it is. I mean, there's a lot of teams out there. But anyway, point is... That Sam Bakeman freed. I mean, he he certainly did his job capturing where he thought the attention was with the celebrities. That's one thing. Okay. Now here's what happened. So he paid them all in stock. Oh, Larry David. Larry David as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's I think I think he gave him some compensation up front, but he gave him mostly stock. And so Tom Brady's stock at its height was worth about $30 million. And then Giselle, his ex-wife, was worth about $18 million. So it's $48 million total. And then everything came crashing down, so it, it became worth zero. Now, here's the thing. All these, I guess you can call them, um, in, they're endorsers? No, celebrity endorsers, right? You can call them that. So Yes, celebrity endorsements. Yeah, these celebrity endorsements. I mean, they're all defendants now because they're getting sued. Like Shaq's getting sued, Tom Brady's getting sued and all that. And so they're getting sued because they're saying, hey, like, you promoted this and we signed up for it and it is your fault because you didn't do due diligence in the thing that you decided to promote. And that's a marketing lesson. Yeah, but what's funny is it's like, dude, at the end of the day, you see so many celebrities on these TV commercials promoting other products and other services and some of them suck and you don't see them getting <clears throat> sued. I think a lot of this stuff will be thrown out uh, because a lot of these guys were compensated by stock as well. It's not like they just had tons of cash in their pockets that they got paid based on what you're saying or at least that article that you read said because they got compensated mainly in stock and i think people are just trying to go after them because they have money and they know they have money totally yeah and and that's what humans humans would do right that you're naturally incentivized to to think that way i would say but still at the end of the day like i remember um we, i had a friend that 
he promoted it as well. He's kind of well known in the crypto space and he had to apologize afterwards for, for not doing enough due diligence. I mean, the YouTuber Graham Stephan, he apologized as well because he was like all these YouTubers were promoting FTX like hardcore and they all Dude, had to apologize. It's not even about after. diligence. So many financial companies like Sequoia did diligence and I could be wrong in this. How do you do diligence on a founder taking money out of the exchange and not telling anyone and using a back door? And from the articles I read, and I don't know how accurate they are, he did that after he raised a lot of the money. So how do you know that? Of course, there needs to be checks and balances, and I think that's where there's issues. But like, how's a Tom Brady supposed to be doing diligence on that? I see where you're coming from. I see where you're coming from. I'm trying to remember who this is. There was one person that just felt that SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried, was just like a snake or a fraud, right? And he was was offered a lot of money, like millions of dollars, right? And he's just like, this doesn't feel right. I'm not going to do it. And so human tendencies, I I think I would certainly take the money too. I'm not going to say like, I would have done my due diligence or whatever. I certainly would have taken the money in the stock as as well, right? Um, But I think sometimes it's like if you... Here's a great example, dude. Wait, wait. Sorry, I'll use an example after you. Go ahead. Here's a great example, dude. Do you know, remember Bertie Madoff? Yeah, he was like on the chairman of the Nasdaq or SEC, one of these exchanges, and they're questioning him like, "Oh, your dad did all this shady stuff," and I'm like, "Dude, you know, I don't know if you saw the movie, but the movie is like." You guys worked with him. He was part of the NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange or whatever. Like, did you guys not do your diligence? So uh, all I'm getting at is sometimes it's really hard to figure this stuff out. It, Agreed. It's not foolproof. There's a lot of shady shit that people can do. And I'm not saying Sam did or did it. Um, all the articles are saying he did. The money went missing. So I'm assuming he did. But the, the reason I'm not saying... I'm 110% sure is we'll wait for the lawyers and the judges to release all the information. But how, how else did the money go missing? Either someone hacked it and stole it or the money was still there, but I doubt that. Or him and his team took it out and there's some articles saying that some of his team members are complying with the government and the chances. And did you see that they found $8 billion? They found $8 billion. They've recovered $8 billion in assets so far. It, yeah, they recovered a lot of money. I don't yeah. know how they're recovering and where it was. So did they actually use a lot of it? Did they not? I don't know. I think the only people who have all the data are these government officials and the lawyers. You know, look, like I said earlier, I, I think I would have taken the money. I'm not going to say I'm, I'm, I'm immune to it, but here's what I will say. Go, go ahead. To clarify, just so in, in case someone's half paying attention, Eric's saying he would have taken the money as a celebrity endorser. He's not saying he yes. would have taken money from people's accounts. Oh, thank you for that, Neil. Uh, so, so look, I think a way to potentially avoid this is, and I'm not saying you need to become Mr. Beast, but we've talked about this before where Mr. Beast made a video talking about, or he was, he was interviewed more so about how he is not getting paid what he thinks he's worth because when he produces a video, it has 100, 200, 300, 400 million views or so, and he gets paid two, three, four million dollars, and he thinks he should be paid 10 million plus. And Brands just can't afford that. It's becoming more and more expensive, right? And so at a certain point, it's like, maybe you just build your own products and then you build your own products and services and you're paid what you're worth. And so that's much easier said than done, but that is a way to potentially avoid it. Dude, I'm with you. The best monetization is create your own products and services. If someone pays you for endorsement, typically they're hoping to make money off of you. So there's some spread there. If you want more revenue, and keep the spread. The way you do that is you create your own products and services. That's the best way to monetize if you're an influencer. EX, Kylie Cosmetics, or from Kim Kardashian Skims, 
or The Rock has his own tequila drink. Mark Wahlberg has Municipal, which is his clothing brand. These are all examples. Some will work out really well. Some won't, but it's all trial and error. You know, there's this concept called the Lindy effect, Neil. Have you heard of this? No. Okay. So you know the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People? Yeah. Okay. So that book's, that book's been around for over 100 years now. And so the Lindy effect means if something has been around for X number of years, it will probably be around for X number of years more. So if a book has been around for 100 years, it will probably be around for 100 years more. Now, let's use this example with Microsoft, for example, okay? So Microsoft has been around for a while. They're trillion-dollar-plus market cap, right? I think close to two now, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but main point here is that I think they're more than two trillion dollars. If Apple's at three, they're probably more than two. You're right. So Microsoft is at two point five one trillion. Apple, the articles were saying they're at three, but every day is different in the stock market. It's exactly right now as we're recording this three point zero zero trillion. So it's right on the wow. Top. Okay. So point here is you can if someone a company has been around for a while. For the reason I'm using this example is because Microsoft is a sponsor of this podcast, right? And we trust that. And so that, that's another way you might want to evaluate or do your due diligence. But if a company looks like it's legit, been around for a long time, they'll probably be around for another 30, 40 years because that's that's roughly how long Microsoft has been around, maybe a little longer. But just give me another example. Anything else, Neil? Uh, nope. That's it for this episode. Make sure you rate, review this podcast. Give us a five-star rating wherever you're listening, whether it's iTunes or any other place where you're downloading and listening to this episode. We really appreciate it. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Goodbye.